Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Pocket Podcast Update number two of the imbalanced history of rock and roll. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus in the Darkest, and today the Pocket Podcast Update number two is brought to you by our friends at Crooked Eye Brewing with the cure for what ails you. And Marcus, we might as well start the uh, Pocket Podcast Update right there. Uh, I think for a few episodes, we were saying crookedeyebrewing.com. And it's crookedeyebrewery.com. And uh, <laughs> I think those are the episodes where we were getting pretty bongosophical. So. Whoops. But I'm pretty sure that if you had Googled Crooked Eye, you would have found the brewery's website by now. And so let's do some updates, my friend. We've had some pretty interesting things going on, and I know you love to talk about Canada. I do love to talk about Canada. We've got quite a few listeners up there from the northern North America. Our northern neighbors. Yes. And uh, we've really gotten a pretty good eye on that because something that's happened uh, in the last few weeks is we've joined Pantheon Podcast, a great rock and roll podcast group, and um, they're telling us all kinds of things about where you are. So uh, don't forget, you can be in touch by reaching out to us uh, with an email, imbalancehistory at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. It's the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. We're on Twitter. Imbalanced Histo, minus the R-Y. Why won't they give us the Come R-Y? Come on, Twitter, we want the R-Y. <laughs> but you can find us on there, and you can also find us on the uh, Pantheon Hub. They have their own uh, media hub for a ton of great podcasts, including uh, Rock and Roll Archaeology and our friend Martin, right? Martin Popoff, he's got a podcast as well. Tons of great podcasts there, and we're happy to be part of the Pantheon Podcast Universe. So can we talk about some of the episodes uh, or maybe our faux pas or the things that we've learned since we've put them out there? Absolutely. I think we should. There's so much to learn in the history of rock and roll. So why not uh, continue the learning process so that we have more conversation ammo, I guess you could say. Absolutely. Well, I want to start <laughs> with episode 22 because we were talking about the band of gypsies in there when we were covering Jimi Hendrix. And I thought it was interesting, uh, I think we noted at the time that they'd done just three gigs and that their final gig was at Madison Square Garden. That's how incendiary and badass that whole thing was. So they did two gigs at the Fillmore East, not the Fillmore in San Francisco, but there in New York, 
uh, legendary spot. The Allman Brothers recorded there live at the Fillmore record there. So they do those two gigs, which becomes the Band of Gypsies live album, and then they go play the Garden. They satisfied that whole contract thing. Done! Unbelievable. But, you know, it's really sad that that's all we got out of Jimi Hendrix and the Band of Gypsies because I think there was so much more there. And I think there was so much in the unfinished recordings that we will never hear as completed I never recordings. Say like never. in the, or I should I say, say the un, un, unfinished demo sessions. I'd want to hear those. Me and too. Quality control can do what they want at Experience Hendrix, but I want to hear those, even if it's a special um, CD box set of just all the demo stuff that wasn't finished or mm-hmm. parts that because. I think drop as, it for ten bucks. People yeah. will pay. I put it pay on for the a internet. CD. Put totally. it on the internet. Let us download it. Well, it's Wave just a file. thought. Maybe we should work in the programming department at Experience Hendrix, there, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Hey, we had a great reaction to episode twenty-three about uh, Hitsville, USA, and the magic of Motown. Uh, one of my mentors and heroes in Philadelphia radio, the great Harvey Holiday, uh, checked it out for us. Thanks, Harv. Yeah, thank you, Harvey. And uh, he actually gave us uh, a very, very little criticism as far as information. Uh, the one thing we, he said was that we didn't quite get the Barry B- Gordy beginning quite right. Uh, that before all the stuff we talked about with the record store and working with the Miracles, that Barry had been working as a songwriter and was responsible for some uh, big songs for Jackie Wilson, like Re Petite and To Be Loved and We Have Love. A lot of love there. Lonely Teardrops and uh, That's Why I Love You So. Uh, I'll Be Satisfied. These songs, before he started working the, with the Miracles, he was working as a songwriter and Harvey set us straight on that. He also told me that uh, Kim Weston uh, was not born in Philadelphia. Do you know where she was born? Motown. That's right, brother. It was My Tammy mistake, Terrell, yes. who is all Philadelphian through and through. And um, thanks for that correction on that. But uh, Harvey had some interesting insights into the things we were discussing. We were talking about the uh, the, the multitude of labels. And uh, we talked about the, uh, the, the stink of payola, right? But Harvey hit me with an idea that also makes sense. Now, imagine you're a program director in 1960, 61, 62. 63, 64. You're doing a top 40 station, right? You're in that time frame, and you check your list, and you've got too many Tamla records on the list. You know, you've got 40 slots, maybe 50 if you're one of those top 50 stations. And you're like, I can't add another one of your records because I've already got four or five Tamla records on my playlist. You've already got 10%, or we give them more than 10% of the playlist. So that was also part of the impetus for uh, Gordy uh, starting the different labels, having the different labels, Gordy Records, and, of course, Motown Records in addition to Tamla. Yeah. I don't understand why the radio stations would be so bent out by having six or seven songs or eight songs in the top 40 or 50 from one label if the songs are that good. If the songs are that good... You got to play them. And we know how timeless the Motown songs are. Kids today still love those songs much more than some of the uh, pasty uh, pale white versions that were done by <laughs> Pat Boone, et cetera, which don't get near the airplay no, they don't get on any, any of the old, oldie stations. No, no so, they really don't. And uh, proof positive of what you're saying there, buddy, is uh, my daughter Lauren is 21, and when she was uh, just, uh, you know, probably six or seven, one of her favorite songs was My Girl. 
It's such a great song. I know. So they are timeless. But there's another aspect to this. Uh, we were talking about this. You remember what distributors were like. We talked a little bit about it. There were so many different distributors. The labels would be uh, distributed by one place. Like regional distributors, national distributors, if you weren't attached to a label. That whole thing was still developing in the record business. So you put out Tamla Records, and they go through this one distributor. And then you put out the Motown Records, and they go through another distributor, and, and so on and so yeah. on, okay? Now, if one distributor isn't paying his bills, you can threaten to take those records from, say, Tamla and move them over to the distributor for Motown who's paying his bills, whatever yeah. the deal was. And Harvey said that that was part of the creative and business sense. Harvey said it was Barry applying his creative juices to business and business sense that drove it as much as the artistic side. He had to do that because it kept him in control of his label by putting all of his eggs in one basket that way. He was making, you know, he was putting a risk if they didn't pay their bills or if that company went belly up or something like that. So... He held all the cards by doing it the way he did. Not only was he an exceptional songwriter, but he was a smart, smart businessman. Yeah. And if you see the Hitsville documentary, you hear some of the war room conversations and it'll yeah. blow your effing mind. Yeah, it will. Seriously, it'll blow your mind. I would just like to urge you that this is serious business because from these meetings come the records that Motown releases to the street. We've got to maintain our high standards because if the records are not created properly, we have a bad image out there. Luckily for us, we have one record in the top 10. The artists that are wide open are Diana Ross and Supremes, Stevie Wonder, Temptations, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, Gladys Knight and the Biffs. These guys were fiercely competitive, but they loved each other like family. And at the end of the day, they wanted everybody to succeed. And they were very good at making everybody succeed through their competitiveness. But they didn't do it in a backstabbing, nasty sort of way. They worked together. And it was just incredible. We recorded that episode before we got a chance to watch Hitsville. And uh, let's talk about a couple of things that we noted from watching that special. Uh, we were talking about how did this all happen? Like, how did all these talented people end up in Detroit? And it was part of a larger migration uh, from the south to the north. And a lot of people landed with talent, landed in Detroit. And it just came together, not just there, but in other cities, too. And they were pulling from the churches. They were pulling from the clubs. Marvin Gaye was a Frank Sinatra type of jazz lounge singer. And then Barry Gordy kind of sold and popped up his songs a little bit. And Marvin was like, yo, I don't know if I can do that. And he did it. And it turned out to be a big hit. And there's video of him singing that song and his backup singer swooning at him. That I want to see. Oh, yeah. Well, and you mentioned jazz and stuff. Um, a lot of the guys who were the Funk Brothers were jazz guys. They had played in the clubs and jazz, and they got it was an opportunity to do work. And so they brought that feel, that 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 sound, and when they put it all together in a studio, it was tr truly magic. They also had really good music school programs in Detroit in those days, and I think that contributed as well as anything. Motown contributed money from their profits to those music schools I did not at that know time. That. 
and was very active in that. And it was either Barry Gordy or I can't remember the other guy that they spoke with in the documentary that said that the reason they hired the jazz musicians to create the Funk Brothers is because they were smarter than the regular club musicians because they were jazz musicians. There was something about that. I remember that. And it was pretty solid. I mean, it just the whole story is amazing. Um, when Barry and Smokey first spoke, I mean, they were really the backbone of that whole backbone of that whole thing. So, I got one more thing, and it's a mind blower. Okay. Did you know that as part of a group called the Minor Birds, they recorded but they never released an album, featured in the same band, Rick James and Neil Young. I heard that somewhere a long time ago, and I totally forgot that. I knew that, and I forgot that. I think that's crazy. I would love to hear what they did. Rick James ended up being a producer, songwriter. Superstar, too. Motown, as well as a superstar, more so in the late 70s with his Stone City Band stuff, but pretty solid. Also, one of the great things that came out of the Hitsville uh, UK documentary is Bob Dylan called Smokey Robinson, America's Greatest Poet. That's saying something yeah. for a man who's He's very a, poetic. An insanely talented songwriter. But I want to jump forward here to episode 24 when we went to Jamaica and we uh, we, we learned a lot, but we also had heard a lot. And uh, one of the things that I did not know was that Bunny Whaler and Bob Marley lived together as kids. And of course, they worked together in the Whalers too, but I, I never knew that they lived together as kids. The whole story, and if you read books and look at some of the documentaries that are out and even some of the podcasts that are out, the story's phenomenal. You noted something in there, and we can actually come back with this crazy story about Bob Marley after we take a big, quick break to thank our sponsors. Yep, Ray and Marcus hanging on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. And as always, the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll is sponsored by our friends at Crooked Eye Brewing, located at 13 East Montgomery Avenue in Hatboro. Great brews, great people, and fun times. Next time you want a true craft brewery experience, stop by for a pint and make it Crooked Eye. And look, there's more to the fun at Crooked Eye than just the brews, although they are stellar. You check out their website, crookedeyebrewery.com. You see the full list of music events and fun scheduled for each month, so check them out at CrookedEyeBrewery.com or on Facebook. So you can stop in, meet Paul and Paul, the brothers-in-law who started Crooked Eye Brewing in their kitchen. Yeah. I mean, meet the Crooked Eye crew who make it fun every night, and yep. you know you're going to make some new friends, too. And you get to meet Jeff Mulherin. He's there a lot. He's the master brewer, and uh, he is working on some really cool stuff. Their tasty brews include the trademark Crooked IPA, which is back and tasting better than ever, right there at their expanded brewing facility in Hapro. That's where they make it all. You will feel like family the moment you walk through the door. Serving nightly in the heart of Hatboro, Crooked Eye has the cure for what ails you since 2014. Marcus, we got to talk about a little more about Bob Marley here because we both listened to the same podcast, another podcast called the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. And they had some pretty deep stuff about the things that were behind the attack on Marley and his house and all that that were obviously well-researched. And uh, it's a really cool podcast. It's got a different, certainly different than our approach, 
but um, it was some kind of a deep thing. They all it was conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah. It was government. But but in the news in the U.S., it was said that it was a a local gang that attacked Marley's house over some kind of rivalry. But this podcast, Rock and Roll Twilight Zone, had a different twist. Yeah, it talked about the CIA being involved in a government coup in Jamaica because they did not like the guy that was in charge because. He was basically pushing them into further independence and less um, dependency on Western money. And there was all these politics involved, and they felt that this guy wasn't as U.S. friendly as they thought he oh, could be. Oh, that's a whole other podcast. And that's a whole other oh podcast. But it's, it was a but seriously, the CIA. But seriously, that CIA, like that discussion about the whole uh, assassination attempt and the CIA supposed uh, involvement involvement in the government coup of Jamaica. And I don't know. I have not done any research on it, so I'm not going to say either way. I'm just telling you what they did. No, but these guys did, Marcus. These guys did. So if you want to know what what they found, you just go find Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. There's two episodes on it. Back in our first podcast pocket update, uh, we were talking about the voices of Woodstock, and you know we forgot an important one. Who? Bill Graham. Jack should introduce this to say, we, we, we want you to have a good time, but we need you to understand what it's all about. That's the way it'll work. Can a normal person do this job? If, if a normal person can have mania, and it's just mania, the make or break of the show is how well the artist performs. Right. But we're going to make certain the sound is good and the lights are good. And- oh, my God. We didn't mention him? We didn't. And Ooh, he was one of the bad. voices. He introduced a couple of uh, the acts and club up in rock and roll heaven to Bill Graham. Yeah. They had a funny experience. We were talking about the uh, Hendrix episodes, and in the uh, Hendrix episode, we were talking about when Jimmy learned Sgt. Pepper and played it three days after it was released at the Savile Theater in London, and McCartney was there, George Harrison was there. Guess what I found? What? Audio of Paul McCartney telling the tale of that night on stage at one of his concerts in the last few months. We just released that on the Friday night, and two days later on the Sunday, Jimmy had learned the song and he opened with it. It was fantastic, you know, a lot of us were there because this was the new guy in town, you know? And uh, he played a solo with his vibrator arm, with his Pigsby vibrator arm, and he's giving it all the And, uh, only trouble was, in those days, that would send your guitar wildly out of tune. So he's standing there, and he's, he's out, you know, and there's, there's no way back. He looks in the audience, he's searching around, says, is Eric out there, man? He's looking for Eric Clapton. And Eric was out there, but he doesn't want to know. He's cringing down. Jimmy looks at him and says, hey man, will you come up here and tune this for me? <laughs> no. Tune it yourself. Is that great or what? Yep. He's got a good memory. Oh, yeah. You know. And can I tell you something that's really funny? Now, we did this episode and recorded and released it weeks ago, and I, and I found the audio of McCartney since then. And then I'm watching a, a DVR tape of Stephen Colbert with uh, Paul McCartney on the just the, last week, you know, before the recording of this. And he's telling the same story. He's telling the story. Stephen asked him about 
this concert where Jimi Hendrix learned the, and he goes into the, what you basically the same story you just heard almost verbatim. And uh, Colbert just kind of baited him. Now, I wonder, is somebody in the Colbert camp listening to our podcast? Could that be? You could email us at imbalancehistory at gmail, and we won't tell anybody. Or you can give us some love on Twitter. I want to go back to episode 23 when we were talking about Annie, Annie Lennox being on Motown. All right. Now, most of her work after the Arrhythmics was on RCA, but in the 20-somethings, she made two records for Island Records, Christmas Cornucopia and Nostalgia. So she did have a, a little association uh, with Island Records there, but she uh, did most of her work for RCA. I want to set that straight. I love the Eurythmics. You ever see them live? I, I don't know how many dates they really did. They only did a couple tours. Right? They played with Men Without Hats okay. in Denver at an old place called the Rainbow Music Hall. It was a great show, except they did Sweet Dreams twice. First song and last song, because that's all they had at that time. One album. Back in episode 20, uh, we did our five favorite albums from high school, and I uh, got a feedback from my good friend Joyce Archinow. She uh, she and I were out with uh, her husband, Steve, and I've known each other for 35 years. I was in their wedding, and we were out with Marisa, and she, she basically said, what kind of high school experience we must have had that neither of us listed a Who album in our five faves. And um, I went back and looked at my faves, and I'm like, I know, there's Who's Next is kind of like a standard of all high school people in the 70s which is when I went to school or high school I went and looked and I thought about all the stuff that was on my five faves and what I could replace with who's next in there and the only one I could even consider would be Machine Head from Deep Purple and that's just not happening the who in the 80s they had different it was different they had Athena they had Eminence Front um and they were great and we listened to them but they weren't faves they were definitely listened to a lot we listened to a lot of the older Who as well. I still have my old copy of uh, Who's Next from high school. Me too. So it's not that they weren't listened to. It's not that they weren't appreciated. And it's definitely not that they aren't loved because they are. Great foursome. Insanely talented foursome. But they just weren't there. Not in the 80s. Not where they were in the 70s, that's for sure. So that's my bad and I'll live with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got a nice review of the podcast, the uh, Springsteen episode uh, that uh, we released on Bruce's birthday. And, uh, well, you know Kevin. He's from Philly Rock Radio. Why don't you give us a read on uh, his review of that episode? Another terrific episode. Bruce is also my number one favorite artist of all time. My first Springsteen album was my dad's worn-out, hand-me-down vinyl copy of The Wild, The Innocent, and The East Street Shuffle. He bought himself a second copy. At age eight, I played what was left of the grooves out of my denim-designed Emerson record player with a nickel taped to the arm, of course. <laughs> I remember oh, having a turntable like that on a um, compact stereo system that needed, the, uh, yep, that needed a nickel or a penny or a dime. Sure. I've read, near, I've read nearly everything that has been written about him over the years, and yet I still learn something new listening to the imbalanced history of rock and roll. And that's the kindest compliment anyone could pay yep. us, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you very much. Loved hearing the shocky stories and Bruce through the Philly radio perspective. Looking forward to future Bruce features from you. Sweet. So, again, you can comment directly on our website, that's imbalancedhistory.com, right. or you can email imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Facebook, the Imbalanced yeah. History of Rock and Roll, or on Twitter, 
imbalanced histo minus the R Y. Come on, Twitter, Why give us the R Y. Sorry, I do my bad Seinfeld there. <laughs> hey, there's some folks who just want to welcome to the podcast audience that have been checking in. Uh, you, when you check in, you can do it on Facebook, of course, our Facebook page and things like that. But uh, Andrea Earhart from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Hello, Andrea. Thank you for joining us Thank here you. on the Imbalance History. Uh, Carmen Borgia from Warminster, which is where I went to high school. Hey, Carmen. High school. Thank you. Uh, Jim Burgoyne from Norristown, PA. Uh, What's up, also, Jim? Thanks very much. Yo, Jim, brother of the best friend of the fanatic, you know. Really? Yeah. Very cool. Thank from you, From Philly, Kim Cohen and Brian Hedson, thanks for putting your hands up and saying nice things about the podcast. Tell a friend where you can. And now we are everywhere, it seems, Marcus. Our uh, our downloads are up. Uh, our alliance with Pantheon Podcast is starting to kick in. So I want to thank a guy with Philly Roots. He grew up on the main line, he told us, when we put our deal together. Peter Ferrioli. And uh, Christian Swain, too. These guys started Rock and Roll Archaeology, a great podcast on the Pantheon Network. Absolutely. They have a bunch of different uh, podcasts of the musical variety, all sorts of different rock and roll podcasts. They have a rock and roll librarian. You want to find out stuff about rock and roll in a podcast. It's the best place to start and finish looking. I'm just going to say that. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, there it is. Pocket Podcast Update number two is in the books, my friend. And as always, it's brought to you by our good friends at Crooked Eye Brewery in Hapro. They've got the cure for what ails you since 2014. Out the door till the next time we put our crooked slant on rock and roll history. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. And thanks for listening to the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.